Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. Welcome back to our Play Golf in College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. I'm your host, Brad Sparling, along with Mark McDonald, and we are super excited this week to have Pat Goss with us. Pat is the Director of Golf and Player Development at Northwestern University, and Pat is absolutely one of the best college coaches in the country, as well as one of the best and most respected teachers in the world. His list of accomplishments could go on and on, but he has developed numerous All-American golfers, both on the men's and women's side. He's coached an individual NCAA champion in Luke Donald, as well as uh, helping Luke become the number one player in the world. And here we go. Super excited to have Pat Goss, Director of Golf and Player Development at Northwestern University with us today. And Pat, thanks so much for your time. If you could briefly talk to us about kind of your general coaching philosophy and how you work with your your players. I think that'd be a good place to start. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Always fun to talk golf. Um, so general coaching philosophy, you know, for us at Northwestern, one of the key things is we really feel like we need to develop players. That That's really a key to it. Kids have to improve and that I'm sure we'll get to this later, but that goes back to the recruiting process and what we can learn there as well. But for us to achieve at the level we want to, and we've had some success doing, players have to get better. And that's a very holistic deal. That is looking at every area of their game and and trying to individually figure out where their opportunities for improvement are. And then really, really getting after that, figuring out where their strengths are and how we can build on those, where their weaknesses are and how we can attack those without those becoming defining factors. And for each player, I, I feel like that's a different formula and we got to chip away at every aspect. We're trying to find every little marginal 1% gain we can to help them get better and to help us train them better, coach them better, and, and find their areas to improve. And again, there's a lot of areas to that. Sometimes it's, it's swing mechanics. Sometimes it's short game mechanics. It's learning to practice better. It's learning to manage the course better. It's getting fitter and stronger. It's learning to deal with your emotions better. It's balancing college golf with school and all those things. There's a lot going on. Absolutely. There's a lot to that equation. Um, kind of going with that, are there any, when you're trying to develop players while you're there, are, it, are there any particular stats that you look at or kind of go to ones that you find uh, that help players develop the most or sure. that you're able to get a better idea of where they're at or um, kind of as you're tracking things as they're, as they're progressing? Yeah, absolutely. We're using stats a lot and you know, for, for two reasons. One is obviously development, trying to understand where they're good, where they have room for improvement, where they can allocate their practice time in the best way to become better players um, in the fastest, most efficient manner. But we're also using those stats to help them understand how to shoot lower scores and how to manage their games better. And using the stats that way is a big part. But, um, you know, I still... What we see most with our college players is they are further along in full swing. And I'm overgeneralizing here, but this does bear out most of the time. They're further along in full swing. They're further behind in short game and wedge play and putting. That's what we're primarily seeing. Now, 
The other way we're trying to use stats is we love, I love anything that can be measured and improved. You know, to me, that's really appealing from a confidence factor. There's, it's not I'm better because I kind of think I'm better. I'm better because I know I'm better. And I've developed drills and practice that measure it. I see improvement. I take that with me. And then I see the statistical improvement competitively. Awesome. One, one thing I actually noticed when we had the, the pleasure of being up there with you in October, um, while we were doing some fittings, it looked like you had quite a few of your players doing some some wedge tests, and it seemed like you were were tracking everything. Um, is that something that you guys do consistently in practice, is, yeah. is tracking things and seeing progress that way as well? Yeah, for sure. We're, we're going to use that both indoors and outdoors in practice. We're going to try to track it and measure it. Yeah, and we, we'll do a lot of wedge work. Um, you know, and, and TrackMan is, and all the launch monitors have made made this relatively simple to do. And then we have some things that we do on our own as well that are even better. So, um, yeah, we we love doing that. And again, we are doing a lot of it both ways. Now, Pat, it seems like I remember years ago um, hearing that you've created your own kind of stroke gained platform is that is that true or do you use something currently available um that other people could also access currently we're using anova statistics and okay and the appealing part there is just the work they're doing in college golf um we had used shots to hole which was an australian company for quite a while right got a lot out of that and that was really a good platform um recently though with anova having so much college data and being willing to aggregate that college data I felt like that really gave us a, a chance to understand where we are within that. But, um, you know, I, I was fortunate through Ben Shear back in 2009 to meet Mark Brody. And so in the work I do with Luke Donald, we were really early to get to the strokes gained. I mean, I can remember and, and theoretically, I'm, I'm a little bit of a numbers guy and, and have a degree in economics. I kind of get numbers. But I remember the first time meeting Mark and looking at these strokes gain statistics before they were public and thought I was looking at calculus that I was never going to solve. And it, it turns out it's a pretty simple thing, but it, I'll never forget that first time trying to understand it. So it was something we adopted early and incorporated a lot to our practice and always really registered with me as a, a smarter way to measure golf, both for com competition and practice. Right. Uh, Follow-up question on your comment about uh, needing more development with putting and short game when kids get to college. And that's a general thing. But when we were up there in October, we were really impressed with, with how much time your players, both on the men's and the, and the women's side were spending on the putting in the short game area. And while they were having fun, they were also very intense and focused. So talk to us a, a little bit about how you do that in terms of structuring practice and so on. Um, Cause I think that's going to be valuable information for people. Sure. So the first thing I'll say is we are really always on our teams that practice has to be intentional, that in general, everybody who wants to be a good competitive golfer is doing the same thing. We're all hitting balls, we're chipping and putting, we're working out, we're playing. There's there's not too many secrets that way anymore where maybe there used to be. So it's really about taking that time and you do need to invest more time if you want to be a great player. But it's also about taking that time and getting the most out of it, both in what you do and how you do it. So. The intentionality and the deliberateness of what you're doing and what you're focusing on and the way you engage your brain is really, really important. We've got to get the most out of that time. And I know from my own experience, I was a little bit of a practicer just to practice. You know, I didn't, and back then we didn't have as much information, but 
I just knew I really wanted to work hard and be a great player. But I look back at it now and I was spinning my wheels most of the time and not doing things that were going to be beneficial. So the intentionality is really, really important as far as that goes in the practice time. Um, so again, we do talk about that a lot with our players and we want them to do that. And, and again, you, you've got to get the most out of the time. You have to be able to do it a little bit better than everybody else with good intention, good effort, good focus. Pat, that's awesome. Um, with, with regard to your guys' practice, how structured are things or how much uh, flexibility do the players have to uh, kind of do their own thing or is it, is it pretty darn structured? Yeah, and that was the part of the question I forgot to answer, Mark. So I'm glad you were smart enough to follow up. That's why you guys are the <laughs> So my brain was going, God, there was two parts to that question. Um, so and I do think this is, you know, and for the, the kids that you guys are taking through this potential junior golf process and college golf process, you know, this is a big part of the recruiting process to understand that the college coaching formula is incredibly diverse and there's no right, there's no wrong, and there is success in every formula. But you can go play college golf for a coach who's not going to do much coaching and really let you do your deal with your swing coach or however it is you do it. And then you can go to places where you can get some coaching when you're struggling a little bit. They'll help get you on track. Then you can go to places that are heavy, you know, heavily organized, heavy coaching. We're probably more on that end. If you come to Northwestern, you're coming because you think, Coach Ingles and Coach Miller and Coach Fletcher and I can help you become better players. So we want to be part of the process. That looks a lot different. But in general, with our college golf practices, Mark, we are going to schedule it so that about half the time you can do what you want because it is an individual game and we need the ball beaters to hit balls and we need the people who like to play to be able to play. And everybody's got their own things they need to do now. And I'm good with you doing those your own things a good part of the time until we find out they're inefficient and don't make sense. Then we're going to try to try to structure it a little more. But about half the time, we're going to have something for you to do, you know, whether that's and we're coming up with things that both we want to build a little team camaraderie and cohesiveness. We need to challenge you and get you to compete and skills that we think are pretty universal that are going to help us as a team either prepare for the next course or just develop our skills. So pretty common to show up and then have coach Ingalls and I say, Hey guys, you're good till three 30. And then at three 30, everybody's together. Awesome. When you guys are structuring practice, how much time uh, do you guys allocate to actually getting on the golf course and doing a little bit more with course management? I think I remember uh, reading like an article where you were quoted with, with David uh, Ingalls, your guys' head coach now is, is really uh, a great course management coach. Um, yeah. And obviously these players all, all have to get better, and, and part of that key is learning actually how to play on the golf course and not just uh, spending time around uh, chipping green or on the driving range. So how much time do you guys actually get on the golf course and, and build your players um, and help them get better out there? Yeah, no, and your, your point about Coach Ingles was very valid, and that's where he and I are, are a good match in our skill sets because I always thought I was pretty good at course management, and he's the best I've ever been around. He was such a great player competitively, and he's, you know, if – if we came down to a critical round for one player and we had to get the most out of that player that day, Coach Ingles walks with them. Absolutely. No questions asked. So for us, the playing golf, we probably qualify a little less than most college programs. But you do need to play golf. That is a critical part of development. You know, you can't just be a ball beater. And conversely, if I was going to make a mistake that way, you could probably just play a lot. Now, your skills aren't necessarily going to develop that way. 
but you could probably improve score-wise that way, doing it pretty good. So we are always going to schedule playing as part of our development and preparation. And then we will have days, too, that as part of that team together, we go out on the course and we do some on-course drills. And we'll also do a lot of funky things in qualifiers. We'll try to create situations that really teach you to play, make you uncomfortable, force you to do some things that maybe you wouldn't want to do normally. Awesome. Awesome. Talk to me a little bit more about David and why he's so good at coaching um, and course management. What specifically is is he great at, and and what um, how would that be valuable to some other junior golfers and college golfers? Well, David was such a good player, you know, and and he was a good player who maybe didn't just have the raw skill set, you know, as far as length, as far as distance, but he was a great wedge player, a great putter, a great competitor. He had an incredible love for the game. So from a course management standpoint, I just think his whole life was, he didn't hit it quite as far, but he had to figure out how to score. And that is really blended into the way he manages a player on the course. So one, it's really about targets and picking correct targets, picking the right clubs, giving yourself the best opportunity to make birdie, but in a smart way that is always creating the overall best scoring opportunity. And and that's one thing we talk to our players a lot about, Brad, is that really it's, it's not about, you've got to get away from the emotion of this one shot and how you're feeling either because you just made a double or whatever the situation was. And we've really got to get this down to just very objective judgment of I'm sitting here and I've got options of ways to play the hole. And all I am trying to do is figure out the way to play it in the least amount of strokes over time. If the end was big, if I did it a lot of times, how do I get the lowest score? And that's how you want to do it. I got really influenced in course management. And this fits with what Coach Ingalls does a lot for me, where I really changed how I thought about it was reading books about baseball and all the analytics in baseball. Uh Golf analytics have really improved and gotten a lot better, but I think we're really at the tip of the iceberg. I look at the stuff that's happening in other sports, and it's it's so far ahead of what we're doing with baseball probably really being at the forefront of it. But, you know, when I'm reading and I'm understanding how Tony La Russa is just trying to cheat averages all day, you know, he's trying to cheat it from, for his hitters, he's trying to cheat it from a 225 to 250, and he knows if he gains that small percentage gain each time, and he does that over 162 games, that he can win six more games, whatever that number is. So I, for me, that just really translated into golf, and I started talking about tenths of shots. And this was even before strokes gained, and then strokes gained really helped us do that. So David is really good at doing that, of understanding what club, what target, when to lay up, when to go for it when we really need to use the fat side to create opportunities. And and sometimes for players, that's a little bit scary because to them, it just sounds like playing conservative. And it, it really isn't. It's about creating the best opportunity to make birdies and pars, to minimize mistakes, to get the most out of your good shots, as well as to manage your bad shots. Yeah, that's just awesome advice. So, so important for everybody to really understand that is being consistent, taking the emotion out of it and just trying to find incremental gains and do that consistently. And then you're going to end up uh, with a really good score. And when you're counting four four players, that's uh, su- super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those strokes start adding up fast when you're at a college level and you've got uh, five guys playing and you're counting four scores and it's over the course of uh, three to four rounds sometimes. I mean, that makes there's your, there's your 12 shots that you're talking about if you talk about a shot yeah. per player. And it's, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's huge can- over the course of a season. 
you look at that junior golf or college golf team scoring and I can't Brad you know this from all the years you did it and you've been part of it is how many times we're counting 12 scores so say you know we're at the Big Ten championships and we're counting 12 scores over three days and it comes down to one shot you know and I've been on both sides of that one shot we've won some very narrow tournaments we've lost some we've lost a playoff to regionals we've missed by a shot we've made it by a shot and man, oh man, you start adding it up and it's 860, 880 shots and it comes down to one shot. You know, you needed that one shot. You needed the, the person to make the right decision at the right time that saved them one shot. Right. Which yeah. goes right back to how you practice and the intention you have and being deliberate and trying to get the most out of every single rep because when it comes down to it in a tournament, the, the difference between winning and losing is just so small. So that's great advice. Hey, let's transition into recruiting if we can. Sure. Um, so when you're recruiting and eval evaluating kids, what do you, in a general sense, what are you looking for when you're evaluating and recruiting junior golfers? So th this is an interesting one, and th this is one that is constantly evolving and, and might be the topic we discuss most around our office for our men's and women's golf programs. And and really trying to sort out and, and I'll be the first to tell you I probably won and lost on every formula over the past 25 or 26 years so there is no perfect answer that's for sure and it really does become about getting the right person who's the right fit but in general in, in recruiting so for us with strong academics it's going to start with grades you have to tick the academic box and you can always tell all your junior golfers, the better they do in school, just the more opportunities it opens up. There's just more schools available to them. So we're going to need somebody that can tick the box, both from admission standard, and then we need you to be able to do the work and handle the workload at Northwestern while you're here. And, and then from there, there is going to be an ability baseline. And as you know, when we're evaluating players, we're not so much looking at scoring average. We're looking at finishes and the quality of the tournament and the players they competed against. And sometimes 72, 75, 74 was amazing. And there's times that 67, 69, 69 wasn't that impressive. So we're really looking who they've competed against, how they fare, how those head-to-heads match up, quality of tournaments, the quality of the courses. Now, within the individual players, the things we are going to be looking at, um, first and foremost, it's interesting when we're out there tromping the fairways watching golf, as much as I know kids really want to play well in front of us, I'm actually slightly less interested when they play well. I like to see it, but I'm more interested to watch a player struggle. Exactly. How can they manage their game when they're not hitting it their best? How do they respond to a double? Um, how do they carry themselves? What is their body language? What is their reaction? What is their posture? What kind of energy vibe am I getting from them watching them play? Do they love the game? Do they love to compete? Can they respond to a mistake? All of those things are really, really interesting to us. Those more personal aspects of, of how you're playing. So again, you know, and I'll, I'll honestly tell you that a lot of times when I'm watching a kid, I don't even know what score they shoot. There's quite a few times that, you know, we've been on the road recruiting and then I'm texting with Coach Ingles and he goes, what did he shoot today? And I have to go, um... <laughs> Well, I'm not really sure. It seemed like maybe one over. And then I look and the kid shot 70. And, and I had no idea because, again, it's, it's not so much we're not evaluating a binary good or bad. We're trying to pick up on skills. Now, then as far as skill set goes, we, the emotional part is really important. The way you compete, the way you carry yourself, how you respond to mistakes is really important. 
The next part that's important for us is we are looking for a baseline of a skill set. And that's why I urge your junior golfers, you need to be continuing to develop your skill set. It is part of your development. You can't just cheat your way back to this is only about scores. And I think these kids in junior golf, as they're just trying to put together a resume to impress coaches, they get so consumed with just what do I have to do to play well now? But if you don't develop a skill set, that'll translate to college golf and college golf gets harder. You know, and I know from the two places I most knew Brad when he was at Duke and when he was at Ohio State, you know, shoot, you go play that Scarlet course in Columbus, Ohio, in the Kepler Intercollegiate in April or a Big Ten championship at the end of April. And boy, you better have some skills. You better be able to make good contact, move at a certain distance, be a decent ball striker. You just you can't fake your way around it. You know, and there's sometimes in junior golf. You know, we're seeing a lot of 6,500 yard courses and public facilities and nice enough places, but, you know, maybe you don't have to quite strike it as well to get it around there and still look like a good player. So there is a baseline skill set. And it's honest, it's it's funny that the courses that we'll use, Brad, when we look at that skill set being a Midwestern school is, you know, I always ask the question, could they go play the Boilermaker Intercollegiate in April and the Kepler Intercollegiate? Those are the two for me two April-based Midwestern tournaments at great courses that are both hard, set up difficult. Do you have the skill set or look like you're going to develop the skill set to get around those two courses? Then from there, we're going to really start working backwards and try to understand as much as we can about the player, their family situation, their school situation, who they work with as a teacher, what has been their method of improvement, and really then take our best guess if they if we think they'll get better. That is invaluable advice right there, Coach. Uh, awesome stuff. Um, when would you advise most junior golfers to start the recruiting process? I think it depends a little bit on where you're at. Um, you know, but now we've got some new rules that have slowed down the recruiting process a little bit. So, um, you know, we are always encouraging kids that somewhere early-ish in their high school career, freshman, sophomore year, to at least start contacting coaches and understand you may not hear from them and one thing kids have to understand in the recruiting process is especially with social media now and so forth it's we get a lot of inquiries and used to be i just went and got my mail every day and i got three or four recruiting letters in the mail every day and now between email texting direct messaging and all these different things we're getting more inquiries than ever. And some coaches have great administrative assistants or are really organized people and are amazing at responding and you'll hear back right away. And there are some coaches who aren't as good at it. And, and I understand that with all that we have going on and how busy everyone is. So, But you need to start at least letting the coach know who you are. And one of the big things I would really encourage with kids is you need to be realistic. And that's where you guys can obviously understand that and, and get it. I would honestly say over 90% of the inquiries we receive are either not an academic and or athletic fit at Northwestern. They're either not good enough students or they're not trending towards being good enough players. So I think the more you can find some realistic opportunities, some stretches beyond that is really important to find a place where you can have a great experience and continue to improve. So yes. I think early on you wanna start connecting them. Now at Northwestern, we go pretty slow in our recruiting, if we find the right person who's a great fit and we fall in love with, we'll go a little faster. But I really love being able to watch kids the summer after their junior year in high school. In my perfect world, if I could get to watch you play golf, Coach Ingalls and I and Coach Miller and Fletcher on the women's side, 
if we could get at least two summers of watching you in a perfect world, because we want to see your growth and development. We want to see where you improve, where your game stagnated and understand why and how as part of the recruiting process. So we're not in a big rush. We're happy to let it go into fall of senior year for sure. Pat, that's awesome. I think I think everything that you had mentioned right there is exactly what we see also with what we do, and especially with regard to uh, players trying to because it's all about finding the right fit, uh, both from an academic and a golf perspective. And and all too often we see players come up with this list of schools, and it's just so unrealistic. And they've either got no chance of getting in, like you said, from an academic standpoint, or they have almost even if they do get recruited they might not have any chance of playing their first year either right uh, and I think that's so important as well of having having a realistic chance of competing right away because um, I've seen it too many times where a player doesn't get in that fall to compete and then it becomes even harder for them to compete in the spring and then they just kind of go on this vicious cycle of uh, making it harder on themselves to get in the lineup um, so yeah, I think I, I think that right fit is really important and with our junior golf academy we talk about this a lot with kids and and ultimately, you just need to really be open-minded because there are amazing opportunities out there at great schools that will provide you a great academic and social opportunity and a great golf opportunity that's a really good fit. And, you know, I, I think the one mistake I see kids make too much, you know, particularly in the Midwest, is they're preconditioned to this set of schools they want to go to. Maybe they've always dreamed of going to a Big Ten school, so they want to go to Ohio State or Indiana, Wisconsin, Purdue, whatever the schools are. And so more than anything, they're just trying to figure out how to be the 10th guy on that team to get the, the non-scholarship opportunity and be a member of that team, which I understand. But in the end, if you have to start at the, the 10th guy and Coach Mosley's the 10th or 12th guy as a non-scholarship player at Coach Mosley's team, there are times it works out. But the majority of the time history would show at all our different high-level Division One schools, you're, it's going to be tough to get in the lineup over time. And the magic in college golf is being on the trips. That is the best part of the experience. It's where you bond with your teammates. It's being in that van and laughing. It's the stuff that happens on the road. It, it's all that junk. And also from an improvement factor, you get on the road, the competition really helps you improve. Now you're spending more time with the coach. Now you're seeing better players. And man, that really jumpstarts your improvement. If you're going to have to sit at home and you can't get on the road and you're going to be on campus all the time, it's hard to improve. And I, I've seen a lot of players. I, I tell the story of some players in Illinois we've had where at Illinois Wesleyan, where he went to Illinois Wesleyan, and it's a kid I would have never recruited. By the time he was done, he'd have been my third best player and subsequently played in two U.S. Opens right after school. You know, and I, I look back at a player like that, and if they came to Northwestern and got lost in the shuffle at the bottom of my lineup, I don't think they made the jump they did at a really good, high-quality Division three program where they could compete. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's a great segue, talking about how much fun it is being on the road, to have you talk or share a couple of your best, possibly funniest stories from your time coaching college golf. Now, you got to keep this appropriate, because <laughs> I'm sure there's some that might be inappropriate, because I know I have uh, several in, in my time coaching that were inappropriate. Um, but uh, talk to us about a couple of your best stories. I think the listeners would like to hear about that. All right. Well, I got to think about this one a little bit. But <laughs> at this point, Brad, we are dealing with 18 to 21 year old males, and they really keep me young, which I appreciate here as I'm nearing 50. I, I appreciate being around the youth of the world and seeing how they view it. 
and trying to keep up with all the new things that are coming out. But uh, at the same point, an 18 to 21-year-old male is maybe not fully formed yet. And I know I was not at that age yet. They've got some growing to do. So yes, there are some funny situations that, that come along on the road for sure with all of us. And, and we've had a lot of good ones, some fun, you know, obviously, again, a lot of the junk happens on the road and, and some of the stuff, the way that the kids are pretty creative and play, playing some practical jokes on each other and, and all of those things. Um, you know what my, some of my favorite stuff when it happens on the road is my former players is when they reconnect with the team and to hear them tell the stories of their college experience. And Absolutely. some of them I didn't hear at the time, and I'm glad I didn't hear at the time. They're pretty <laughs> amusing to hear to back in time. So um, I got to come up with some specific examples for you. One of my, my favorite memories, and this is a little bit more of a coaching memory, was with Dylan Wu, and Dylan just graduated for us. He was an All-American one year, three-time All-Big Ten, and then got right on the, the McKenzie Tour up in Canada. But his freshman year at Court of All, he won a tournament. And in the process of winning this tournament, on the 16th tee, Coach Ingles had to bear hug him. He had to absolutely bear hug him. He just plugged the ball in the front bunker, made double, and at that point relinquished the lead, stormed up to the tee, hit the shot, missed the green, and was losing his brain. And Coach Ingles literally came up from behind and bear hugged him and told him, I'm not letting go until you get yourself together. You still have a chance to win this golf tournament. And after, you know, and to hear the story, especially from other people where I got some version of your your coach was really, he was really, I don't know. Hands on. It was hands on, literally. And then Dylan went on, made a birdie late, hold a four footer to win the hole. That was one of my favorite members of memories of really when a coach stood up. Um, one of my favorite memories in, in coaching was winning the 1999 Big Ten Championship for a men's team. Northwestern had not won a Big Ten in 41 years, and that team had Luke Donald and Jess Daly and some really, really great players. But that was a moment where we were able to go back and, and felt like we'd accomplished something that 50 years of players had been working towards and had represented our program and supported it and been part of it to do that and be a good alumni part. So I, I really appreciate that. So, and, and Luke was, was a big part of that. And, uh, I can say this now because coach means isn't, isn't coaching. And obviously we've had a great rivalry with a lot of schools, but back then Minnesota was really good. And this tournament was at Minnesota at the Les Bolstad golf course. And we had t-shirts made up that said their course, our championship. And we got this sneaky little photo that I still have in my office afterwards holding the trophy. And, uh, there, there's so many of those things that I'll never forget along the way. And I've had to deal with some really odd things. We talked about Luke Donald earlier. One of the little known facts about Luke Donald is he got bit by a snake while in college. Wow. Had just a few days of practice for that one. And balls today. And it, it did involve a lot of question asking to get to the answer, but if it turned out who had never bit anyone bit him and part of the, the tooth broke off in his thumb. So Jeez. a lot of dumb stuff happens with 18 to 21 year old males for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned Luke Donald, so we can't be talking to Pat Goss without bringing up Luke Donald. And there are very few coaches that can say they've coached uh, a number one player in the world, won a national championship for you guys while you were there as well. What's it like um, being the coach of Luke Donald and, and being around him and, kind of what makes him special and maybe a few things that you've actually learned from him. 
Sure. And I've, I, I tell people all the time, I've learned more from Luke Donald than I ever gave in our 20 some years together, for sure. I, you know, I, I've become a much better coach, not only from being around him and understanding things from him, but the opportunities he's provided me within coaching to learn from some of the the smart teachers and smart coaches along the way. But, um, you know, Luke was, it, it was fun in college because he improved a lot and he was a player who at the time, a lot of coaches passed on. He was a small guy, didn't hit it very far, didn't flight it very high. And a lot of coaches passed on him and we had had good success with a few English players at the time and got some really good references on him. And we're fortunate enough that he came and he improved a lot. And he is freshman to sophomore year. The biggest improvement for him was in distance. He got stronger, got more flexible, got better fitted equipment, proved to swing a little bit at a distance. And that really got him to where he needed to be. And uh, one of his defining moments, Brad, this is back to the funny stories. And then we'll get back on Luke. His freshman year, our last tournament, we go down to what used to be the Golf World Intercollegiate at Palmetto Dunes in Hilton Head Island. He got paired with Hank Keeney. You know, okay. Hank is an amazing <laughs> player. Hit it a long way. Great Whale on it. And Hank was a big boy who moved it, unlike yep. anybody else at the time. And this was in an era that not everybody moved it like they do now. And so I forewarned the Luke the day before. I'm like, hey, this guy you're playing with tomorrow, really nice guy. But, man, he moves it. You know, and I, I gave him the full coach speak. You got to play your game. Stay focused. You're such a great iron player and chipper and putter. You know, you'll be able to beat him. So Luke goes out and plays. I'm out watching our team finish, and I come back into the clubhouse, and Luke Donald is on the range pounding drivers. And I, <laughs> and I go, Luke, what's up? He goes, I have got to hit it further. That was just too discouraging to play with Hank. But obviously his career worked out. So I would say the big things I learned from Luke along the way were, one, all of Luke's greatest successes came when he was totally focused on the process of getting better. It wasn't so much about tangible outcome goals. You know, one of my lines I'll use when I'm asked to speak about Luke is the way Luke Donald became number one in the world is he quit trying to be number one in the world. He just tried to become the best Luke Donald he could and to see where he could find those marginal opportunities for improvement and to really see how he could stack those up and to do it his own way. And that's another thing I'll go back to with Luke and strokes gained as we talk about it. Strokes gained was a big part of his improvement. But what strokes gained helped us with Luke Donald was to understand what his formula was for success. And his formula was that he needed to be a great approach player, great short game, great bunker, great putter, and that we had to really exploit and constantly build on those strengths that we couldn't get distracted by the weaknesses. So that was really a big part of his success and how he did it. Um, and it's been a fun journey, both to watch him get to number one in the world and what he what he achieved there. And I would also say as his game struggled and he's fought some injuries, I've learned just as much along that process as well. That's awesome. I think, I think what you had mentioned on the things that you had learned from Luke is very applicable to many of the junior golfers we work with and them learning about what makes their game great or what makes them different, focusing on those strengths. And like you said earlier too, we still have to touch on the weaknesses, but, um, mainly mainly finding ways to make our strengths even better. And uh, if we can clean up those weaknesses a little bit and without hurting our strengths, I think that's that's perfect for every junior golfer, every collegiate golfer out there right now too. Yeah, it it is for sure, Mark. And and one of the things I'll always say is you need to be, you need to identify and attack your weaknesses, but you need to be defined by your strengths. Everybody has their own way they play the game and you have to go to your strengths. And I want to see you even 
competitively see how that plays out. And, you know, at some point you've got to identify your weaknesses, but when it comes time to play, you have to do what you can do. However you can play and you can hit the shot, you have to do it. But then we want to see you go back to practice and go, well, there was a shot I couldn't hit and I didn't feel comfortable hitting competitively. So the smart thing was to not hit it. But then we got to go back to practice and we got to really work on that and we got to get after it. Then at some point at home, we've got to go play that shot and we've got to do it in a situation where we don't really want to do it. And we got to do it enough times at home where we finally say, hey, we can do this. Then at some point competitively, you're going to have to jump off the diving board and hit a shot that six months ago you were scared of and you're still feeling a little scared, but you got to go, hey, you've worked at this, you can do this. Let's go do it right now for sure. Right. Um, we're trying to wrap this up shortly because I know you're busy. Any last piece of advice that you would like to share with uh, our listeners that maybe we haven't covered? Um, one thing I'll tell you about Luke Donald, too, is we were talking about that. Interestingly enough, the best player I ever coached was the player most willing to make a bogey. You know, when Luke drove it out of play or something didn't go right, he was always smart. He, he always had the ability to just pitch it out. And I think a lot of that for him was he was smart enough to objectively understand it. But two, it was that it was really a sign of belief. He thought he was the best player, so he didn't see any reason to push. And to me, that's one thing I always tell players. That guy who feels like they really have to push it to do things that don't make sense, don't bear out from a strategic standpoint analytically, it's because you don't believe enough in yourself that you feel like you have to push it at that margin. Luke was willing to say, hey, if I pitch this out here and I hit it on the green and I make a bogey, that's fine because over 54 holes, if I play my game my way, I'm going to be the best player. You know, that, that was one thing I really learned from him, watching him play the game. That was smart for sure. So, you know, as far as especially your junior golfers, you know, the one thing I would really tell them is, is really focus on what you need to do is improve and really learn to love the game. And you have to remove a little bit of the being overly focused on college golf as the destination. You know, you just want to go fall in love with the game, fall in love with improvement, go become the best player you can be, and let college golf be a four-year interruption along your lifelong journey of loving the game and see where that works out. I see too many players that the only goal becomes, how do I get to college golf? How do I get Coach Goss to either give me a spot on the team or give me a 25 or 50% scholarship. And there, there's two issues with that. One, it will influence you too much along the way to not just go about becoming the best player you can be who loves the game. Two is, one of the biggest questions I ask in recruiting is what are your goals after school? And if you can't immediately look me in the eye and say, I wanna be a tour player, and I think Northwestern can help me achieve that goal, I'm probably not gonna recruit you. If your goal was just to get to college golf and be on my team, history shows you're not going to be a great college player. You know, unfortunately, you will have already achieved your goal. So we need to find players who just love the game. College golf's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of dealing with a coach giving you a hard time. It's dealing with school. It's dealing with being away from home. And if you don't love the game, that'll pan out negatively. Mm -hmm. Coach, if I was 35 years younger, Sign me up, baby. I'm ready to go, man. I'll come play for you any day. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't need to attract guys your age. I need some <laughs> hot shot 16-year-olds. We've great. had our time. 
Yeah, we all have, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, this has been uh, awesome. Very uh, insightful information that our that our listeners are gonna are gonna love. So thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on and congrats for all the good stuff you guys are doing. It's really fun to follow. So awesome. appreciate it. Thanks, coach. We appreciate it. Have a good day.